Live from the 607 is the ODPH Entertainment Edition, where we're talking movies, comics, TV, and more. Why don't you join in the conversation? Hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, hashtag ODPH Podcast. I am your host, Ken M. Sitting across from me this week, as always, is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss in the land of entertainment, so let's waste no more time, shall we? Hit us up on the social media, hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation, because, hey, we want to hear from you. Now, our lead story we did mention a couple weeks back that we were going to kick off the show with, but right before we were going to air, we heard that it was not a done deal. We get to this week. It has now been officially announced. Mm-hmm. The next person who is playing the role of Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, that we think. It's you. No, surprisingly not, which I do appreciate all the Twitter votes for it. I, I would play it if they did offer, but no, sadly, it went, not to me, it went to Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. That Robert Pattinson from the Twilight series. Twilight series was Cedric Diggory in one Harry Potter film, too. If you, I mean, if you want to count a flashback which he wasn't even really acting in. It was just uh, used footage from the last film. Uh, he's been doing some other stuff, but yeah, no, he's, if you go to his IMDb page, yeah, he's, the, he's most known by everybody for being in the Twilight films. So, Pad, let me ask you this. We are now in a reboot phase. The Ben Affleck... Reboot, air quotes. Right. The Ben Affleck era is officially over as mm-hmm. far as Batman goes. The Zack Snyder DCEU slash World of DC slash whatever you want to call it is technically no more. Mm-hmm. They're now going into full reboot mode. Matt Reeves, who did the Planet of the Apes trilogy, is at the helm of this film. He casted Pattinson in the role. Yeah. What is your reaction? Well, first I want to say I don't think it's a full reboot. It, I, you know, I say soft reboot air quotes because full reboot to me would mean they're getting rid of Jason Momoa and Gal Gadot as Aquaman and Wonder Woman respectively. And if they do that, the folks in charge and making that decision are insane. So that's why I say it's a soft reboot because, okay, you're not recasting everybody. Kind of like you think of the first Fantastic Four to the more recent one. That's a full reboot. Like that's entirely new cast entirely new you know portrayals and everything this to me is a soft reboot um and in terms of my reaction to it i was surprised by it i remember reading that both uh robert pattinson and then nicholas holt who of course played uh tolkien and most recently in the jrr tolkien biopic was the beast in the young x-men universe i don't know a proper term for that i was kind of hoping for him because you know he's a great actor i like what he does but obviously you know the other thing i read was that they both screen tested in a bat suit you know so obviously matt reeves sees something in pattinson that he really wants him in this film so you know i'm going to kind of reserve judgment on whether i like the casting or not until i actually see something because we can all sit here and armchair quarterback until you know we're blue in the face and about whether we like it or not but let's face it at the end of the day we don't know the script we don't know the story we haven't seen anything so i don't want to really cast shade on the guy until i see something right i have to agree with you about this For me, the initial reaction was, okay, this is interesting. Because I kept thinking they were going to go for a John Hamm type. They were going to go somebody that was a little more older in the role. This is obviously a younger actor playing the role. So going in with that, it's a very interesting take that they're going to do for this, as we found out, is a trilogy they're going to do. Mm -hmm. So that being said, Pattinson's name didn't really... 
I don't know, ignite me up to go, okay, I want to go watch this movie right now. But I had the same reaction when they announced one Heath Ledger as the Joker way right, back when. Right. And I was kind of going, okay, I know him from you know some other movies that just really didn't resonate with me too much. Uh, there was that one really teen movie that he did. I'm mm-hmm. blanking on it right now. And it was just one of those situations where I'm just like, okay, I, I really don't like how this casting is going. And Ledger just owned the role. Yeah, he, he set the bar. He set the bar. I mean, for what he did in The Dark Knight is absolutely incredible. I mean, that's the only way you could describe it. And it just goes to show that if you get the right actor in the role, you can make something happen. Pattinson is no different. Pattinson can come in there and really take hold of the role if it comes to him. Mm-hmm. Ten Things I Hate About You. That was oh, the okay. movie that was ringing in my head. I, God, I couldn't forget about that. So that being said, with Pattinson, and everybody knows him from Twilight and, mm-hmm. and what goes on there. This one, I think, though, when he gets in, he's done some other film work that I think he just needs to get the right script in front of him. And depending on what they want to do, right, that's going to be the big issue. right? Because if they want to go and continue the the current role of the DCU, I guess would say, mm-hmm. it's really, I don't know if it's going to make a lot of sense per se. Right. But this is going to be just something that, as Matt Reeves' vision comes to life, and we've kind of heard some casting rumors along the way. Josh yeah. Gad was cast, or is heavily rumored to yeah. be playing the Penguin in this. Yeah. There is talk that Catwoman would be added to this. Mm-hmm. There, it, there's talk of a, a Robin being in the film, though, well, which Robin that is, we don't know. Right. But with Pattinson, though, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about his role in Good Time. I'll say he's getting rave reviews for his role in Lighthouse alongside Willem Dafoe. Right. That if you just give him the script, let's see what he does. Well, and it makes sense to me in the fact that, like, the thing I keep reading is that Matt Reeves wants to make it a young Batman, the, you know, not quite year one Batman, but like something in that neighborhood. And and Robert Pattinson is currently 33 years old. So, I mean, he fits the bill of being a young Batman. I mean, Ben Affleck, I believe, was like near 50 when he was playing uh, Batman most recently. But I, I think it also makes sense, you know, for him to do it because he's young and then going, you know, somewhat in the vein of year one. But then the other thing, you know, I keep reading and I keep hearing is that you know, Matt Reeves wants to make this the most comic book accurate Batman film to date. Which I applaud if he's going to try doing that. But then again, what version is he going to go with? Right. And if you're going to use a story, Penguin and Catwoman have been in various stories throughout the year. Your years, rather. So what story are you going to pick for it? That you would have a young Batman involved? My guess, and this is my unofficial ODPH guess, is they're going to try doing a storytelling of year one. That would be the easiest take for me and just mix in different elements. Because if you're going to have Penguin and Catwoman in the first movie, I would imagine that they would arguably lay off the Joker for this trilogy. Probably. All right, but until the very end. I could see him popping in the third one. I can't really guess where they're going to go, if, but if they're going to do young Batman and if he's going to be starting out and, and kind of finding his way through Gotham, year one makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But is that the take they're going to do? That's another question. Right. I don't know if they want to go that route because you almost had that with Batman Begins. I mean, that yeah. kind of showed his, yeah. his coming of age and, you know, obviously with Christian Bale and the job he did. It was kind of like a Cliff Notes version. Yeah, and, and then to a degree. So do you even want to go near that that story? No, because it's it's I would do it 
if I were Matt Reeves, I would go about it the way they introduced Spider-Man to the MCU where, okay, let's face it. You've seen Spider-Man's origin story twice now. We've been seeing Batman's origin story off and on for the better part of 25 to 30 years. Right. We know this backstory. You know, young kid going, leaving a play, movie, whatever version it is you're reading. Uh, parents take him down an alley parents get shot he turns into batman down the road like we've seen it a thousand times we really don't need to see thomas and martha wayne get shot again you know i have nothing against the story but you know it's like watching the same thing on repeat right there's no sense for it and like i said your one would make a lot of sense to me if they wanted to try doing it but at the same token you're going against batman begins i don't really know if that would make a lot of sense Mm -hmm. and to go what would be the most comic accurate story that you could do with Penguin and Catwoman to lead off with. Hmm. It's a real kind of toss-up in the air. Yeah. Now, would you throw out something of maybe trying to do something along the lines of maybe the Long Halloween? Maybe. That you could stretch that out with different characters? I know Hush is coming to the animated screen. Mm-hmm. Would you try doing a live-action Hush? I mean, because with Penguin, you can really flip that into anything Yeah. in, in a sense. Because yeah. in more recent years... He's still been a a villain in the rogues gallery, but he's mm-hmm. kind of stepped back to being just a crime boss. Yeah. So you don't necessarily need him to be the lead no. per se no. villain, but you can definitely kind of fluctuate him where you need to. You know, if you need him to take the role, he'll take the role. If you need him to be a back character, you can do definitely do that. There's a lot of different ways you can go with it. Yeah. If he's going to do the most comic accurate version, and he did say that, I mean, or at least what we've read and heard. There are going to cast a Robin in this. Mm-hmm. So the question now becomes, which Robin would you cast in this? Because if Pattinson's 33, yep. you would you say he is Bruce Wayne at this, at this juncture? Or would I even say this? Is it a fully official that he is Bruce Wayne casted? Mm, as far as I know, yeah. Okay. Because if he's fully casted, because I could see them pulling a curveball and saying that he's Dick Grayson and he's going to be Nightwing. That'd be wild. It would be absolutely wild to see that happen. But if you're going to keep him Batman, you have a couple different Robins you could use. I don't think you'd, you would go with Dick Grayson in this one. No. I don't think you would. I think your options would be either Tim Drake, which I could see working, or you could try doing Damian Wayne, mm-hmm. which would be very interesting to see. I mean, or they could do Jason Todd in that you could have him be in the first one have obviously what happens in the second one and then bring him back as the villain in the third one. Maybe. It all depends on if you really want to go that road, but I don't know if they necessarily would. I think Jason Todd is an interesting character, mm-hmm. but to be the main villain for a, a trilogy, I think it would be a little tough. Right. I, I In my opinion. I like I, I could see it, but I think that now that he's been you know, in his Red Hood persona for so long now, right. I don't necessarily if that would go over as well i mean you take a look at what the video game arkham knight was yeah and when he turned out to be the revealed arkham knight Mm -hmm. did it really have that punk that you wanted that was like okay i get the whole villain persona right i mean did it for you pat it it surprised me that's for sure because the thing the thing with the arkham knight is he was never there for like the entire trilogy he was just there for the third one the first one took place on uh, arkham asylum and joker was the villain the second one was arkham city aka like a quarter of gotham city and joker was the villain and by the third one joker's dead and you know they needed a protagonist so in stepped the arkham knight who ended up being jason todd i mean the writing was kind of on the wall as i went through it but like it, it was still a bit of a whoa i didn't really see that coming yeah for me i was going okay i could see this but i'd rather have it be an original character 
which I have to just segue just a second. If you haven't not been reading detective comics lately, they have introduced Arkham Knight into the okay. Batman universe. It is a different version. It is not Jason Todd. It is a phenomenal right, right. read. I'm not going to spoil it for you. Get to your comic shops and go pick it up. You'll be very happily surprised. But getting back to this for the movie, though, for Pattinson, he's obviously got a lot of question marks surrounding him. Can he deliver on the role? I think he can, but it also depends on the storyline they were going to go with. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the only two characters that we've heard rumored to be involved has been Penguin and Catwoman. Right. Now, you're obviously tying it into the Tim Burton universe because those were the two that they did for Batman Returns. Well, I mean, it's they're just using the same characters. I wouldn't necessarily say it ties in. No, no, I'm not saying ties in in that sense, but I'm, as is connected, I'm saying you've already seen these characters on the screen. Oh, okay. So would you want to try having the, the three dynamic in that movie? Mm. I don't know. Like, I don't know how that would resonate. I mean, they might pay homage to it in a certain way, and I, what, what that would be, I don't know, but I feel like they might, there might be a little wink and a nod to, you know, Danny DeVito and, and, and that whole movie. Right, which, I mean, I could see happening, but... For me, I don't necessarily know if it's the right way to go out the gate. But if they want to establish that this is Batman's year one and these are the first villains he deals with and as he's progressing through his year, then I can say, okay, I mean, maybe, it, this, maybe this makes some sense. On paper, it makes sense for him if they're doing like year one. These are like one of some of the first villains he's encountering to make sense. To, it makes sense to have him encounter this because it, it starts off kind of small where you've got Penguin who's a mob boss and he's trying to control his portion of Gotham or if not all of it. And then you also have Catwoman who's busy being a cat burglar and stealing things. Right. I mean, you can definitely see that happening, too. I mean, for me, though, I just say. It's an interesting pick to start out with, but it's almost like how they typically set up for trilogy movies. Right. You have a lesser, I don't want to say dangerous villain, because, I mean, let's face it. If you talk about Batman's rogues gallery, mm -hmm. Penguin is up there, but it's not up there for, like, the most, you know, devastating, most intimidating villain that he has. Right. I mean, you take a look at Joker, Ra's al Ghul, the list can go on and on. Bane. You, yeah. You don't really go... Oh, the penguin. Oh, let's you know see what he's got. Because like I said, I think he's been written best as a secondary character mm -hmm. more than the lead. But that's just me about this. I right. mean, there's so many different directions they can go with. And like I said, if they wanted to try doing a year one, sure, maybe I could see that happening. But I don't know. I mean, would they even think to try doing a Night's Fall? Yeah, I don't know. You're reaching for all the big stories, and I don't know. Well, like I say, he, from what I've heard, Reeves has kind of thrown me for a curveball because when he's saying we're going to make this the most comic book accurate film we can. Right, but I don't think at the same time they're going to go with like three massive stories in a trilogy. I Well, that's the question mark they got right now because, like I said, we've heard very little other than the castings of Pattinson involved. And, I mean, obviously that was a very, very – Unique situation, too, yeah, because yeah. it was announced, and then uh, there was obviously still open for competition. So now that he has the role, it's his to take and, and run with. Where do we ultimately see this trilogy going? I mean, I see it kind of building up as like a as like a start from maybe humble beginnings. Now, not necessarily like the full story, you know, getting back to the origin thing. We really don't need to see that for, you know, an umpteenth time. I think the thing to do with that would be to have one of those fancy schmancy 
opening credit type things where it's like starring and directed by yada 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 and then have like a sweeping thing going across where like you see glint you like it might even be like an animated outline thing like you've seen and you see what happens so like all right hey you know the origin story but here you go you know we're not going to dwell too much time on it i think it's going to be a trilogy that kind of sets it up as okay he's kind of getting his feet wet he's trying to figure out what he you know he's about and what he's doing to he's kind of got himself established in the second one to the third one he becomes you know the the hero that everyone knows and loves right i think i agree with you too i mean obviously they try going with an origin story on this i think it would fall flat and i think if you ultimately copy a little too much of batman begins Mm -hmm. you're gonna fall flat too so it's gonna be an interesting take where they decide to go with it like i said you can try doing year one but you really have to walk a fine line but if you also jump too far ahead that he's been Batman for a few years, yeah, you're also really needing to find your vision and where you want to go with this. Because like we said, for three films, and if this is going to be a start of the trilogy, I don't necessarily see the Penguin being around for all three. Right. I just don't. I think the smart thing for Reeves to do, and maybe he's already done this, I don't know, would be to plan out where you want to go. I mean, the thing you, you always hear about when J.K. Rowling was writing Harry Potter is before she even wrote the first book, she had the ending written. She knew what the ending was going to be. I'm not saying Matt Reeves has to have in pen, you know, you know, put to ink what the last portion of the third film is going to be, but just have it down like, okay, we want to get from A to B and figure out what B is so that way you can plan for the in-between and not really just like throw stuff up against the wall and hope it works. Yeah, obviously I think he's going to. And look at his track record. I mean, Planet of the Apes was one of the best trilogies to come out in recent memory. And yeah, that's true. Definitely threw a curveball to where everybody knew the franchise was before he got a hold of it. So I have full faith in him that he's going to deliver on something. I guess what I'm just trying to figure out is you you casted Young for Robert Pattinson, and that's fine. I actually, like I said, I don't have an issue with the casting, and I'm going in with the benefit of the doubt because I'm not basing his whole body of work on Twilight. I want to base on what right. he can bring to the character. And like I said, I had the same vibe that I had with Heath Ledger. So this is going to work out, I think, in theory. But it's just what I want to see gets added to the story as it's going. I mean, Joe Manganiello, we have not heard anything about Deathstroke. No. I know it before there was rumored he was going to be involved in yeah. this, and then this has kind of gone quiet lately. Yeah. I don't know what's going on. So the only thing that we've heard that has been strongly rumored is Penguin. But if you want to go through the echelon of the Batman stories, okay, this is a good for a setup movie for something. And if you're going to go for a trilogy, what's the end game going to be? And I didn't mean to reference that with Avengers by any means. But what is it going to be in the final outcome? Because with the Batman movies, there is a certain benchmark you need to hit. Tim Burton had a very unique version. Joel Schumacher went for the 1960s Adam West vibe. Yeah. And then Christopher Nolan obviously brought the most realistic Batman to the screen that we have seen. Yeah. And to see where the Zack Snyder version went... It really dabbled into what his version of the DCU was. I'll say a mix. I felt it was always a mix of like realistic Christopher Nolan, but then dabbling a little bit in the comics. Well, when you dabble and you start borrowing elements from Frank Miller's yeah. Dark Knight Returns, yeah, then you really set the benchmark high. And and not to say it can't be hit, but if you're going to tell that gritty universe, that's something you got to build up to. That's not something you can lead off with. Well, you can't lead off with it, and this is where I think Batman vs Superman failed. Is you had the death of Superman with the Dark Knight Returns, and you can't do that in the same movie. No, in my opinion, you just you can't. 
It's just too much. You can do one and hit it the other, but you can't do both. Right. You absolutely because to do both like that, you just you're asking for troubles. And I think that that's what ultimately happened in this. And this is where I think a lot of heat went on Affleck's portrayal. And I actually thought he was all right. Yeah, he was all right. He was all right. I mean, it wasn't any situation that he was, I think, to blame for. It is just when you have the material and it's just tough to do. And it's one of those situations where he has to come in and he has to implement his character. And he's trying to do a bunch of different versions of Batman, it kind of seemed like. Yeah, yeah. It's tough to pull off. Yeah. And obviously, the studio and the vision of Batman wants to go a different direction and go younger. Pattinson can pull it off. It just depends on what the story material is going to be and what's going to be the ultimate end to it. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to tell a three movie trilogy involving Batman, where is your start and where is your end? Because you have a whole plethora of material to work with over a thousand issues in detective yeah. comics yeah. alone, let alone a regular Batman series. And there's been so much good stories told over the years that to jump in with a with a new vision is going to be a great take but ultimately where is it going to go and from what we've heard so far i got a little mixed feelings about it but i think overall i'm excited to see where the vision is going to go but let us know what you think hit us up on the hashtag hashtag odph what is your thoughts on robert pattinson getting casted as batman what is your thoughts of what the trilogy is going to be is there a character that you want to see get added is there somebody that you think Maybe should get revamped as well. We want to know. Hit us up. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Rob Kacharek from the band 607, Autopilot Off, and Walking Distance, and you're listening to ODPH. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH, and we got to talk a little movie news. Mm -hmm. Now, we are going to be giving you some spoilers about a movie we happened to review last week and kind of give you a little preview of something that is returning to theaters, rising out of the ashes of Ah, something. I saw what you did there. Because it's going to be kind of a movie showdown at your local box office. But let's break down first our review of Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Mm -hmm. Now, we did preview this last week on the show. We gave you our thoughts going into it. We are going to be talking spoilers, so if you're not ready, get ready, because in three, two, one, Pad, what did you think of Godzilla? You know, it was everything I wanted it to be. It was a lot of destruction from Godzilla. You know, the plot wasn't anything, you know, to really write home with, but it kept me engaged, and it kind of made sense for what they were trying to get through in this in the story and it helped move them along from place to place you know so it was everything i wanted it to be script wise a lot of holes well yeah a lot of holes through it but as i said on last week's episode i'm not going for the story i'm going to see stuff get destroyed and boy did it ever it deli- yeah it del- a bit. it delivered on that front as we said it was a sequel to the 2014 godzilla movie and as it picks up, we start finding out that Monarch has been more tampering around with the monsters on the planet than I think anybody realizes. Yeah. Because as we see, Monarch is trying to see what they have with all the Titans, as they're calling the monsters. And, and they're being very secretive about it, too, because, you know, to from what I gather from the movie, because the movie's not 100% clear on this, the public only knows about Godzilla and the two monsters that were in the previous film. They don't know about King Kong, which, of course, took place before the first Godzilla film. And as we find out in the movie, there are 17 Titans and counting. 
Right. And this is where it gets really awkward. Mm -hmm. Because as we see, obviously dealing with the ramifications of Godzilla, the 2014 movie, the character of Mark Russell, played by Kyle Chandler, his family has kind of gone through, dare I say, some traumatic experiences. No, yeah, it, it is. I mean, obviously losing a child in that is really having a toll on the family as Mealy Bobby Brown, who is playing Madison Russell, Mark's daughter, is emailing him and saying, Mom is not doing well and, right. and just really detached. And Which we find out, I mean, they're in the they're in the middle of a Chinese forest, you know, and we find out she she's with her mother. And I'm like, and in my head, I'm watching this going, all right, who decided it was a good idea to bring a child into the middle of the Chinese forest, let alone you're at one of the sites that one of the Titans is sleeping at? Yeah, Vera Farmiga, who's playing Dr. Emma Russell, is there and obviously there's something going on because she is really experimenting with Mothra as we find out mm -hmm. that is being kept at the, at the secret location and they're almost testing out different ways to communicate with it which is a horrible idea oh absolutely this is just reeking of like this is going to end badly and they even established that fairly early on in the movie where they say listen if this doesn't go right and you don't get the right because they're combining frequencies from uh, some of the some if not all of the titans to kind of control them and it's even established fairly early on listen if you don't get this right they will fight you right so at this point she is trying to communicate with mothra and then all of a sudden there's an eco-terrorist jonah allen played by charles dance that comes in and is mm -hmm. shooting up the building and obviously there's a lot of confusion of what's going on and then they're taken captured and then Monarch is reaching out to Kyle Chandler's character to come and join to obviously get his wife and child back. And then they start going to different locations all across the world where all these monsters are. Yeah. Because at this point, they know that the end game is they're wanting to somehow activate or awaken these titans. Yeah. Because, say monsters. Yeah. Because they feel like, oh, you know, the humans are a disease and. And we've really destroyed the Earth, and the Titans are are the cure. They're the you know they're the the Earth's natural response to, you know, whenever you get sick, you you know the, it, your body sends out antibodies to fight the sickness and fight the disease. And the Titans are the Earth's antibodies, and we really need to set the Earth back to how it was. Right, because at the initial stage, we're hearing that okay, the eco terrorist is trying to sell off the DNA of these monsters yeah. and really do something with it. But then we find out that that is the end game of that. Yeah, that they really want to turn the monsters back over to running the world. Which, mm -hmm. I mean, hey Hollywood. I, I was going, okay, this is kind of an interesting take, but hey, let's roll with it and see where we get. And obviously there is one monster that is stepping up to defend the planet, and that is the king of them all, Godzilla. Mm -hmm. Now, Pat, what did you think about Godzilla's visual on this? Uh, Godzilla's visual is awesome, and I particularly love the jump scare scene they put on fairly early in the movie where like they're at the Caribbean oil tanker-looking thing where they're all underground and they're all ready to shoot, up, shoot it and fire at Godzilla, and... and Kyle Chandler's character is like, no, 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 wait, open the open the view screen, because at this point they've got the uh, view screen underwater, you know, locked up, bolted tight. And, and Bradley Whitford, you know, goes, what are you, nuts? Yeah. So they're obviously recognizing the threat that is Godzilla and what he's capable of. And he kind of gives him a almost a chin check in his own degree of just uh -huh. saying, I got this, leave it alone. Yeah. And as you see, 
they start going through the motions of trying to track down, okay, what is going on? And then we find out they activate King Ghidorah. Mm-hmm. Well, as they know, they don't know him until later on in the movie, but they just call it Monster Zero. Right. You know, they find they don't find out its name is King Ghidorah until later. And King Ghidorah, you know, if, if we're talking levels of insanity from like 1 to 10, Godzilla is like a 10. King Ghidorah is like a 12. Yeah, this is where you really see the true test to Godzilla come apart. The well, three, like, Say, because when you fly around as King Ghidorah and you're creating like category six hurricanes, you're a real whole other level of nasty. Absolutely. It's the three headed dragon. If you're not familiar from seeing the posters on the for the movie. So as you see, Godzilla and Ghidorah have their first battle and it's as epic as it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, the one thing this movie did right, in my opinion, you had your epic monster battle. I'll say that battle was probably something that were this the first movie movie would be like the end battle. Right. And as we find out as the movie is progressing, we find out the ultimate plan is to unleash all the titans on the, on the planet. But the one thing that they don't realize is they think that they can control them yeah. to a degree. Yeah. And Ghidorah just winds up being too strong for any frequency to really hold. Yeah. And as we see, Godzilla is you know, wounded from this. Mm-hmm. And obviously, is, there's so much taken out because somebody from Monarch comes up with the idea of making an oxygen missile. Yeah. Well, oxidizer something or other where it would, you know, basically vaporize or, you know, do something with all the oxygen in the area. In a two mile radius. In a two mile radius. And this is after uh, Ghidorah has gone to uh, Mexico and awoken Rodan. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot of cool ties in if you know the Godzilla mythos. So they did a very good job of representing that in this Mm -hmm. film. But as we see, Godzilla is mortally wounded, but Ghidorah is not. No. And then we come to find out Ghidorah is an alien. So Ghidorah got a head ripped off and was like, ah, I'm fine. It pulled like a Hydra almost. It just yeah. reattached. I was it. afraid it was going to do a Hydra. Like, I remember sitting at the theater and I was uh, like, oh, God, because the head got ripped off. And then you saw it start to regenerate. And I'm like, is this about to pull a Hydra? Are we about to get three heads, more heads out of this thing? Right. And obviously at this stage, everything is looking in peril now because Ghidorah is just unleashed. You don't want to say hell on earth, but it just obviously the sky's on fire. It's pretty much hell on earth. Yeah, everything is up in smoke. So everything Monarch wanted happened. Yeah, or not or the eco terrorists. Yeah, the eco terrorists happened, but not exactly how they wanted it to happen. I'll say it's pretty much hell on earth when you get to the one scene where it's kind of like you know the big battles really starting up, and you've got uh, King Ghidorah in Washington D.C. and you have a U.S. naval like battleship. Uh, sailing up in Washington, D.C., and, oh, hey, look, there's the Jefferson Memorial next to it. Right. Obviously, they have lost complete control, so Monarch is trying to do what they can do. Ken Watanabe is reprising his role as Dr. Shiro, and he basically says, well, we have to go and we have to recharge Godzilla. Well, they, they go they go looking for him, and they end up getting sucked through one of the the vortex tunnels that have been kind of rough. They kind of hinted at in the first one and then referenced in this one. And they, and they're in a submarine trying to awaken Godzilla because you know, they've got, I forget who it is. I think it was uh, Kyle Chandler's character has the brilliant line. How many nukes do you have? And I'm like, Oh, this isn't a good idea. Yeah. This is not good because as we find out, they go to basically the city of Atlantis. Yeah. That, is not referenced. Well, they go wait. They kind of hint at it. And they they go, hint. But they hint at it. Oh, this is—is is this Egyptian? No, older. And that's kind of it. Yeah, it's just kind of like a footnote. Like, are you going to do something later with this? Yeah, we don't know. But I digress. As we get onto the film, they go. We're going to drop as much nuclear uh, weaponry on Godzilla to yeah. reenact his powers. And yeah. Obviously, Doctor Shiro sacrifices himself because 
obviously you can't get through there with just a normal ship and yeah because brad they're, they're sailing through in the submarine and 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 bradley whiffer goes uh i'm gonna recommend we stop because as much fun as this is i, I don't want to give birth to kids with three eyes and four arms later on right because there's a meter on there's a meter on one of the displays it's kind of showing the radiation meter and it is through the roof and you have to think at this point too okay this is a very drastic measure but if godzilla has been almost regenerating here mm -hmm. do you really think it's a smart plan to drop a nuke and destroy his home well i mean right now it's a smart idea down the road it's probably not oh down the road yeah it's it's not you're just I'll say it, it's either drop the nuke and get him up and ready to go now so we don't all die or we just let him kind of sit and die yeah because that was the one thing i was going he's going to wake up from this and see that his way of surviving is now up in smoke because if this has been his like regeneration chamber, and like I said, I think I'm describing it a little too you know vaguely in this, he has an area that he is just obviously they go oh this is how he's been sustaining himself for yeah years. I think I think he says oh he's feeding yeah so obviously you destroy his food source so you've re you've reactivated his powers and then some because yeah. he's basically a walking nuclear disaster at this point he's a walking nuclear bomb right and then we see that. Our, the eco terrorists group uh, is stationed up in Boston. Yep, and we see the Madison Millie Bobby Brown's character sneaks away at this point. Yeah, because at this point she's all pissed off with her mom because she find. I don't think at any point she knew what her mom wanted to do. She just knew she she was working on a project, and then she finds out her mother's true instincts, and she's like, "You're awful. You know, my brother wouldn't want this." You know, what are you doing with yourself? And the mother starts kind of intro, you know, looking in on herself and going, you know, what am I really doing? At this point, Millie Bobby Brown's character takes the device they've been using to awaken and try to control the monsters. And after she overheard her mother talking that she'd be able to use Fenway Park, where the Boston Red Sox play as kind of this amplifier to control all the monsters in the world. She goes, oh, hey, why don't I go and try and stop all this? Yeah, which obviously, OK, there's a couple of plot points here that I'm just going to bring up because I couldn't escape this. You have the one quote-unquote weapon mm -hmm. slash equipment piece that can somewhat control the other monsters that are now activated and running around this planet, and yet you don't have somebody watching it. That's true. You have a teenager that can sneak out of an eco-terrorist base and run free through the streets with said piece of equipment and sneak into Fenway, which at this point is a refugee camp for everybody that is dealing with the monster attack. Well, it's a refugee camp, but I think by the time she gets there, it's deserted. And I think back to the point of, oh, it's a teenager and she sneaks out with it. I think it just goes back to that old Hollywood trope of when you're in a movie, oh, who's really going to pay attention to the teenager? Right, which I which I get that point, but I'm also like your most guarded piece of equipment and she walks out of there basically yeah. scot-free. Like I said, the script is what I had the issue with because it was very cliche in my opinion. But I digress. I didn't go for the script. I came to see the monsters, and oh boy, did we ever! Because once mm -hmm. once this gets activated, Ghidorah comes to Fenway. Yep, and lights it up like Daenerys did King's Landing, and then some, and then some, and then we see that everybody is finally congregating to Boston. Godzilla shows up in his new nuclear-powered version of himself. Well, which, so he's not glowing blue; he's glowing red. red. Yeah. So obviously, at this point is like, oh, this can't be good for anybody. No, go, Godzilla's there, uh, King Ghidorah's there, Rodan's there, Mothra's there because Mothra is, is, we find out, is the queen of monsters, and she's really there to help out Godzilla. And it's just like a two v two tag team battle. Yeah, it's it's your straight up pro wrestling slugfest, which I love. Yeah, I was all about this, and it delivered because 
you had your big monster battle. This is why you came for. You didn't come for the script. Yeah. And you came to just see everybody smash, rock them, sock them, yeah. drop down, you know, like, you know, it was just like a straight up heavyweight bout. I mean, however you want to describe it. I would need every finger and toe on my body and then some to count the number of times I said, oh, God, during, uh, you know, the monster fight scenes. And that's not in a bad way. It's just what I was seeing on screen was insane and I couldn't believe it. Yeah, the CGI they did for this movie was exceptional. Yeah. To bring all yeah. these monsters and how they had them, you know, articulating with their actions. And, and I mean, just you could definitely tell what was going on. You weren't really lost if you weren't familiar with the characters. Mm-hmm. So obviously how they did their motions and how they were involved in them was really interesting. And just you had the knockdown drag out fight mm-hmm. until you basically had Godzilla just take over against Ghidorah. Until Godzilla dropped the bomb on him. Literally. Literally. Because as we know, uh, when they lit up uh, Godzilla to set off the bomb to really restart his whole body, uh, that also infused him with said power of that bomb. And they discovered, oh, we have like 12 minutes until he goes off, and then he's going to go off like an atomic bomb. Right. And then he goes off, and that's kind of the end of the battle, and he stands there triumphantly with some of the other monsters that were awoken uh, throughout the course of the movie, uh, you know, finally approaching him. And it looks like there might be a fight, and he's kind of giving them the look of, try it yeah you see what i just did try it and they end up bowing to godzilla yes because at this point Ghidorah is killed Ghidorah is killed uh killed after uh mothra sacrifices herself uh killing uh, uh rodan and then godzilla kills Ghidorah. right so at this point godzilla is now officially king of the planet because mm-hmm. monarch is no longer existing no they did save everybody except Dr. Emma, who was killed. Well, they they tried to save her, but she, you know, heroically sacrificed herself. Because Ghidorah was looking for the piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. And obviously they, they went back to their old house where uh, Madison was hiding. That's the daughter's name. And who survived the, you know, carnage by, st- by staying in the bathtub. And when the house was wiped away, she just emerged from it. They found her, got well, her on the she plane. She didn't run. necessarily emerge. I mean, they had, they had found her... They were looking in the rubble, and her hand was sticking out underneath a piece of rubble, and they are like, okay, who realistically is going to be here? Right. And they pried her out. Yeah, so they pried her out, and they got her out of there, and obviously the mother sacrificed herself, and obviously she is not going to be back for the sequel because they are going to be doing a sequel of how they left it hanging. I mean, the bonus scene, we thought we were going to see something about King Kong, but we didn't. I mean, they hinted at it enough. They hinted at it enough, but as we see, the eco-terrorist has survived Uh with some remains of Ghidorah. Yeah, well... If I'm guessing, uh, because if you remember back earlier in the film, one of the heads of Ghidorah got ripped off. My guess is that this is said head. Yeah, which is going to be interesting to see how they genetically bring it back because obviously they didn't learn the first time, so this is not going to be good going into the second one. But, Pat, let me just ask you, final thoughts on the movie. Everything I wanted to be and more of the CGI was incredible. The story wasn't anything to write home about, but it kept me, you know, involved enough to follow along with what was going. Uh, my opinion, Bradley Whitford stole the film. You know, if you ever watched The West Wing, he was Josh in The West Wing, and he's just at his absolute best in this film. Yeah, I definitely thought it was what it, it should have been. I mean, you weren't going for the script. There's no, no, no. way you were going for the script. You were going to see a rock'em, sock'em, drop down, throw some bows, and just terror, you know, just destruction everywhere. Just, you know, tearing up everything in sight. This is what you got from Godzilla. It delivered on that front. I mean, obviously, it did decent domestically at the box office. 
Pad, you got some numbers? Yeah, so domestically it made uh, $49.025 million, but it really made its money back overseas where it did $130 million total overseas, bringing its uh, we- opening weekend gross to $179.025 million worldwide. So obviously it looks good for them to come back for the sequel against mm-hmm. Kong. I mean, obviously that has been filmed. That's going to drop next year. Yep. But it has to survive this weekend. Uh-huh. Now, I'm not talking about Rocket Man, which I've heard is excellent, by the way, yeah. the Elton John bio. No, there's another comic movie that is coming to theaters, rising from the ashes, almost to step up and take on Godzilla itself. I mean, if the news and what I'm reading online is any true, uh, Godzilla's weekend numbers are safe. Well, we'll have to wait and see because it is finally arriving in theaters, X-Men Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Now, Pad, you got some feelings on this one. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's not going to do well. Uh, current projections for Dark Phoenix for opening weekend is $50 million. Their total gross prediction is $118 million. Uh, if both cases hold to be true, that would be the lowest of any X-Men movie of all time. That would be worse than The Wolverine. That is saying something. And obviously, we have talked about this movie in the past on the show. Mm-hmm. And there has been a lot to have been said about this. The first trailer did not look great. No. By any stretch of the means. In fact, when it's announced that you killed off one of your major characters in said trailer. And if you talk to anybody who was involved with the movie, oh, we didn't tell anybody, show anybody. No, yeah, you did. You did. You completely did. And as you see, Mystique is killed off, which, I mean, it's not a spoiler. It's been out there, so I don't feel Mm -hmm. I'm ruining anything with this. But they are going to try again to retell the Dark Phoenix saga, one of the most classic x-men stories of all time if not the most classic x-men story i mean john byrne chris claremont's epic story redefined just stories at that time like you want to talk about why the x-men are relevant and so important and and just that whole saga they did Mm -hmm. is just one that really kind of defined that run going into coming back with giant-sized x-men one and just where they went from there i mean there's so much influence on this that obviously when they tried doing this with X3 during the original trilogy run, yeah, it did not go over well. No, it wasn't good. No, to put it mildly, I'm not going to get into it. Not a fan of the movie. No, not neither am lie I. About it. No, neither am I. So obviously when they came back with First Class and Days of Future Past, both were very good. Yeah. Both were a step in the right direction if you're going to go for a reboot. Apocalypse was eh. okay. I think it could have been a lot more, but... It, it wasn't, but they teased a lot with the Phoenix in that one as well. There's one scene yeah. where Jean Grey lights up, which is kind of interesting to see because at this point they have not really said they're going to go Dark Phoenix. No. And obviously after Days of Future Past, the one thing you have to realize is the storyline or timeline rather of the X universe is reset after the ends of Days of Future Past. Now, because when Wolverine comes back in time, everything is reset to the original storyline, so it connects. But they also are still retelling the old stories, too, which I, it's confusing if, yeah. you, if you're not really looking at it. So that being said, that they're going to try retelling Dark Phoenix. And obviously, this has a lot of interesting backstories to it. It's a lot of uh, reshoots from what we've heard. Yeah, reshoots, including having to redo the entire ending of the movie. Break it down for us. So I, I kind of I don't know if I said this on the show or not, but I, I know I said it to you. There was rumors back when Captain Marvel had either finished filming or was getting close to finish filming that, it you know, what was going to be in Captain Marvel was going to conflict with what they were planning on doing in uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix. 
and that was that, uh, of course, if you've seen Captain Marvel, you know that the Kree feature very heavily in the Captain Marvel storyline mm. and in Marvel comics in general. Uh, originally, of course, X-Men uh, Dark Phoenix was supposed to come out like around the same time as this movie, but it obviously ended, ended up getting delayed. So we were potentially a couple a uh, while ago looking at a scenario where you were going to have. I couldn't remember who was going to come out first. I want to say it was Dark Phoenix coming out first, where Dark Phoenix was going to come out and introduce the Kree in their movie because there's kind of some back and been some back and forth over the years, obviously before Disney kind of bought Fox of who had the rights. So Fox was going to introduce the Kree in their movie, and then a couple of weeks later, you were going to have the Kree get introduced in Captain Marvel. Well, obviously the Dark Phoenix ended up getting delayed. They had to do reshoots and all this other stuff, and they ended up rewriting the end of the film and taking the Kree out. And you can even look up the James McAvoy interview he did where he said, yeah, we had to redo the ending of the film because another film came out earlier this year. Which is interesting to see. And obviously, with that being said, this movie has just had a lot of negative vibes, I guess I could say, Mm -hmm. to put it mildly, surrounding it. This has not been something that when the taste of X3 is still in the mouths of a lot of fans, to hear they were trying to redo Dark Phoenix and then you're hearing about all the problems going on with it, I mean, we said it before on the show. They're doing the Dark Phoenix saga. You've got to nail this one. You've got to hit it out of the park. And I'm sorry, they're stumbling to the point they're almost fall- falling flat on their face. Right. This one, I'm going in with a very low expectation. I mean, Sophie Turner, I think, has done a very good job playing Jean Grey. Yeah. I've been very happy with her character. Yeah. James McAvoy as Professor X, I've been happy with. Yeah. You know, Michael Fassbender, I thought, yeah. has been played great as Magneto. The casting about this movie, I'm not angry about. Yeah, yeah. The cast has been doing everything they can with what they're given. There's only so much they can do with what is written. Right. But to see this, and this is going to be the last X-Men movie. I know that New Mutants is maybe going to see the light of day. Yeah, maybe. But this is the last X-Men movie that mm-hmm. is going to be done by Fox before they come to Disney. Yep. You want to see it go out on a high note. And we're going in with this with some very low expectations just because we've seen the trailer. The trailer looked very okay, okay at best. Mm-hmm. I mean, gave gave a little too much away. And obviously, when you had the director coming out and saying, oh, you know, Simon Kinsberg said that Mystique did get killed in the movie from what we read. That this is just something you don't want to give that way right in the off the jump. No, I mean obviously when you see Jennifer Lawrence's portrayal as Mystique, she's done a very good job with it, and yeah. then, and then obviously we see what happens in the trailer, and it's like yeah she gets killed. And it's like wait wait why why would you drop that on there? Well, and it's 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 one of those things like okay if you're just watching the trailer, you know you look at it, you go okay somebody dies, but you can't really tell who. But then you help, you have the director doing interviews the same day the trailer comes out. And bringing up the character who dies, he goes, oh, yeah, Mystique dies, because da 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 Yeah, it's just one of those things that I, it just kind of seems like everybody just wants to get done with this movie and just let it go. Yeah. Which, if that's the case, then that's fine. But I guess for us as fans, and we've read X-Men comics, and obviously if you've grown up watching the cartoon, you you know what this story is about. And you have to nail it. It's one of mm-hmm. those stories that you don't really have a lot of wiggle room for missing. There's been a lot of good stuff in the X-Men comics over the years, and it's astounding to me that some of that stuff has not made it to the big screen. Oh, I know. A big screen in over 20-plus years of X-Men movies. Right. And obviously with the big rehash they're going to be doing this summer now with Jonathan Hickman taking over, which is going to be phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Just wait till it gets all done because I'm telling you what, when, when he starts writing those epics, the payoff is going to be tremendous. So, I mean, I digress. You take a look at all the the work that has been done over the X-Men throughout the years, and there's been so many classic stories. 
but Phoenix is the top one. Phoenix is the X-Men story. To see it do anything less than amazing is going to be a letdown. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to be surprised by this. I really am. I'm hoping this is like Titans on DC Universe, that the trailer was awful, but the show was good. I'm hoping the same thing with this movie, that I was not impressed with the trailer. I want a good movie. I want to go to this theater and go, you know what? This was actually really good. I just don't know if it's going to happen or not. I'm going in with like as low expectations as you can have because the telling fact to me is that we're sitting here. The movie is just a couple of days away from getting released. The review embargo still has not lifted. And, yeah. if, and if we're sitting here the night of the movie's uh, premiere when you have that big red carpet premiere and wherever they're having it, and only then when the film is getting screened to the actors and the families and whoever else attends those, only then the review embargo gets dropped. That to me is very telling. If there's anything you don't know about how good a movie is going to be, you look at when reviews are let to be posted. If it's more time between when they're posted and when the movie comes out, the movie's probably going to be pretty good. But if they're not released until very close, if not the night of the movie's premiere, the studio's trying to hide the fact that it's not going to be a good movie. And that's very sad to see, but that can only play in Godzilla's favor because whoever's going to win the box office amongst the demographic that is going to go watch the movie, and we're talking about you know geek culture, you know population, I guess so to speak. Mm-hmm. Godzilla has a great chance to win, and if they do well, then that might you know spawn some more of the monster verse because obviously when it opened up this weekend it had a lot of competition, but it did, did defeat Aladdin, mm-hmm. which I which I read. So if it can continue its momentum, it'll do well, and for the Phoenix and. We the X Men universe. If this is their swan song, then let it be done, and you know, let's hope for a good surprise. Yeah. Because if it's not, this is not the way that you want to remember this X universe because they did do a lot of good movies, but you don't want to remember it going out like this. And if it is the way it's going to go out, and it's going to be a bad movie, then Disney is going to have a lot on its hands because when they come out with their version of the X Men, they got a big expectation mark to hit because mm-hmm. everybody's going to remember how this went out. Yep. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts on Godzilla? What's your thoughts going into Dark Phoenix? Which one would you rather see? If you see both, let us know. Hit us up on that hashtag. Interact with us. Who would win, Godzilla or Dark Phoenix in a fight? Dark Phoenix. Okay. Dark Phoenix comic version. Dark Dark Phoenix movie version to be determined. But we'll follow Uh. that up next week. But stay tuned on the ODPH. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be coming right back. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast and we got to talk a little Agents of Shield. Uh-huh. Now, this episode wasn't as trippy as last week's episode. No. But it definitely had a lot of question marks behind this mm-hmm. one, at least for me. But as we get into the episode, we are going to be talking spoilers. You know we do break down Agents of Shield. Pat, what was your takeaway from this episode? Uh, I just want to know was Ridley Scott directing this episode because that's kind of the vibe I got off of it. Yeah, it definitely had an aliens type vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And it, as they progressed in the episode, we find out what happened to one missing member of the cast so far this yep. year, and that is Deke. 
the grandson of Fitz and Simmons from the future, mm-hmm. maybe, yeah. because timelines. Because <laughs> timeline and endgame. Yes, and as we find out that he has now formed his own... Startup company? Yeah, that he's been stealing Shield tech uh-huh. and flipping it to make a VR simulator. Yep. That he's now actually referred to as the framework because... Yeah. That's a great idea. Because he and he thinks, oh, Shield's not watching me. They're totally okay with this. Yes, and as they're jumping back and forth, we see what's going on with him. But as was like we said, we jump and we see Mac is now dealing with what's going on with Yo Yo and Keller, and he's saying he doesn't want to know about the relationship. Otherwise, mm-hmm. he's got break up teams because when it's too personal, they won't focus. Yep. And obviously, this comes back to be some foreshadowing for later in the episode. Almost a tip of the cap too early. A little bit. And as we see, there is an alien that Coulson, or I'm sorry, Sarge and Sarge. his team are going, and he stabs him, and then he kind of breaks into like a crystallized yeah. statue of some sort. Like, I really wasn't sure what was going on here. It, it almost reminded me of when they were first introducing Inhumans into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and you would have folks who would get turned into like that stone statue or whatever, and, and then they'd either disintegrate or they'd come out normal. It almost reminded me of that where like, oh, this has gone wrong. Right. So as we see as the episode's progressing, Sarge is now looking for Deke, and he shows mm-hmm. up at his, his building. His startup. Yes. And obviously Deke is thinking, oh, Coulson's alive. Hey, great. And yeah. then obviously he picks up pretty quick because he kind of throws him some curveball questions. And then this is when Team Sarge, as we'll refer to him as, yeah. decides to say, no, we have to kill you because you're not supposed to be here. Oh, yeah, so Sarge shows up, starts, you know, and he's ready to kill him. And he goes, hey, Coulson. And Coulson already knowing that, all right, if anyone calls me that, then this is a tip-off. And he then goes and tries to play off like, oh, no, yeah, I totally got saved. I don't know how because they wipe my memory. How much of it? All of it. Why don't you fill me in? Yeah, and this is where... Things start picking up very quick because this one thing about this episode, it had a lot of action going yeah. on with it, yeah. which I liked because Agents has been kind of teetering on their story a little bit, and but as they're dipping in to get into the season and really going full tilt with it, this was a great episode to jump in for yeah. because as you saw when Sarge is starting to go and he's tearing up Deke's startup company that we see that Deke has actually not been out of the shield eye at all. Nope. There has been a sleeper agent that has been his quote-unquote best friend during this entire time, and they obviously call the cavalry in. Well, I wouldn't necessarily call him a sleeper agent. I mean, Agent May even looks at him at one point in the episode and goes, oh, you failed your babysitting mission? Yeah. Well, they know. I mean, obviously, it's a sleeper to Deke, but they all know who he is. And as Deke is running through and he is just confused as all what's going on, back at the base, Dr. Benson is doing the autopsy on Mm -hmm. the alien. Yep. And this is where it gets very weird and interesting because Yo-Yo and Keller are there, and as they open up the alien, they find a bat-like creature. I thought I thought they were going to go do something like in the first Men in Black movie with Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, where like you're going to open it up and then there's a small person inside because it almost looked like that, something like that. It almost did too. And as I'm sitting there trying to go through, okay, what are they doing? And is what alien is this? I wasn't ringing a bell. If you know what it is, hit me up on the hashtag ODPH. Because I almost was going to say it's the brood. Hmm. I almost went there, but I'm like, no, they don't have the rights at this point because that's an X-Men alien. Right. But as they're going through, Benson awakens the bat-like creature. Well, is it he awakes it or is it just it kind of comes to? A little of both, I think. I think because okay. he, start, he starts hacking around. And oh, yeah. Open in there. yeah. He woke, yeah. He woke it up and then it starts escaping in the shield facility. And at this point... Yo-Yo and Keller start looking for it. Hello, Ridley Scott. Yeah, this obviously takes a, it takes a little homage to Alien, where they start going around looking, and then all of a sudden you see the creature 
go inside Keller. Well, yeah, because Yo-Yo at one point, because it flew into the ventilation system in the base, Yo-Yo has the brilliant idea. And I don't know why she thought this. I'm like, listen, you, you're a speedster. I can't imagine you being able to use your powers in there. She goes, oh, boost me up. I'm going to go into the vents and look for the thing. And all of a sudden, then you hear, uh, you know, what's his name again? Keller. Keller, thank you. Uh, start choking, and she kind of comes down. And all the, that's when we see the bat-like alien-looking thing is flown into his mouth. Yeah, and obviously he's now in danger because he's going to get taken over. Because they, they did say it was a parasite, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah, and I made the mistake of watching the scene when I was eating lunch. Uh, yeah, not, not, a, not a smart idea. Not the smartest move for you, my friend. No. But as we get flipping back and forth, though, they do go back to where Colson's team is running through, mm-hmm. you know, the startup company. Can I just say Deke Tech? Yeah, sure. Because that'll work. Yeah, so they're running through Deke Tech looking for him. He's not there, but his girlfriend decides to go mm-hmm. reemerge, who is actually one of the producers on S.H.I.E.L.D., Yeah, which I thought was a very cool nod. And as he goes in to save her, just they start getting into a situation where Mac has to step up and start fighting. Well, and he even completely forgets she was coming back because we see her in the episode, and she want, basically wants to go out and get some, like, tea drink with him. Boba, I think is what it was called. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, let's go get Boba. And then, you know, he he finds out there's a meeting, and it ends up being Coulson. And, and so, he, you know, Deke is being held in by S.H.I.E.L.D. as like, hey, you know, stay here. We got to go take care of things. And then he gets a phone call going, oh, hey. She goes, oh, hey, I'm back in the building. Where are you? Where, where is everything? Everybody. And he goes, oh, crap. Yeah, he has to go run in and save, but he puts himself in the line of fire, too, because Sarge's team is now running through the building looking for him, and they're fighting everybody, and there's a mm-hmm. great fight scene with Mac, which it's finally great to see him get back on the, yeah. the you know the front lines and, and go. I was just sad. The only shotgun axe scene that we had was during the VR simulator. Yeah, that's true. We needed that during that scene. But as he starts fighting Jaco, which I, I can't wait for the rematch of those two. That's, yeah. the, that's the big henchman for, yeah. for Sarge that you see that May is now running through there, and she comes into, I believe the character's name is Snow. Yep. And they have a great fight scene. I mean, the, yeah. the stunt choreography in this episode was top-notch. I think it was also telling uh, for Snow, because I think to this point she's kind of felt that the human race is kind of like inferior, lesser, oh, we can just run through them like they're, you know, wet paper. But then she goes up against May, who she even makes the comment at the start of the fight, oh, what, no gun? She goes, never needed one. Yeah. And she thinks, oh, I'll still be able to take her on with, you know, my skill and my knives. And then May stands toe-to-toe with her and beats her, and she's like, oh, crap. Yeah. Which May has had her number the entire season thus far. So we got to remember though, May's also extra motivated. Oh yeah, you have ticked off the cavalry. This is not mm-hmm. exactly the smartest move on any planet to do. No. But the only way that Snow is saved is Sarge comes in and has a gun held to May's head, mm-hmm. and they wind up taking her hostage. Yep. Which is kind of an interesting trade-off they're going to have to do down the road because Jaco at this point is trapped in the VR simulator. Yep. That's in Deke Tech, which. Deke has to offer a promise to Mac of 2% of the company to keep it quiet because now Mac is going, wait, you've really been up to this much? Well, well, because the simulation Deke's been working on is him in the future on one of the ships from the last season in the future, saving the day, being all heroic, and he opens the door and in walks Daisy, and she goes, oh, what took you so long? And it's like that that forlorn look she gives at him, and, and Mac looks at the screen as one of the bad guys has taken the thing. To taking the simulation and he just looks at him with this look of really yeah it is it is a good way to end that story but it, the episode did end on a down note because as keller is running through trying to be saved 
he is obviously getting taken over by the parasite, mm-hmm. and it comes down to where I'm surprised. And I know, Pat, we talked about this off air. Yo Yo just did not run him. No, to to go get help. He, no. she was trying to carry him yeah. you know, over his shoulder. Well, yeah, shoulder. yeah. Because when the when the alien parasite first flies into Caller, you know, and they bring him to the the medical unit in the base, and they talk to the doctor. Oh, why don't we just? You know, he's like, oh, I've never dealt with this in my entire profession, and he's he's. Uh, what do you say? Fifties, sixties. He, he's give or a, take, give or take. He's he's seen a lot of things in his medical uh, profession. You know, he goes, "Oh, I've never dealt with this in my in my medical profession." She goes, "Well, why don't we take him to a hospital?" And he goes, "Listen, this has never been dealt with in human history. Nobody knows what to do." Right. And and you know, he goes, "Even if we did that, you wouldn't have time to get him there." So so when he finally gets he gets killed. You got to remember because the 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 flat lines and you hear the you know the long beep and the parasite really takes over and he starts trying to kill the doctor and then yo yo forces him off of there and they go running trying to put him in isolation and all in all the meanwhile i'm sitting there watching this going okay you have super speed oh granted you have to go back to kind of where you were or whatever however it works but you can still run super fast when time is of the essence why are you not running yeah it was kind of a little faux pas in the in the story i guess if i agree with you too is like i didn't really understand that because especially if you need to get help i mean who's quicker than yo-yo mm-hmm. in this scene but as we see keller starts hatching and yeah. starts going into that crystal like yeah, I, I, it's it's weird. It, it's a weird alien that I'm just not sure what. But she ultimately winds up having to stab him. Mm-hmm. Thus tying into why Max doesn't want to know about relationships. Otherwise, he has to split up teams because well, of this and, kind and, of situation. And he did make it clear, you know, before he kind of succumbed to the the symptoms of this alien parasite. Do whatever it takes to take care of this thing. Yeah, and Keller was very obvious, and Yo Yo did what she had to do, and that's kind of where the episode ends. Because now you have May is taken hostage by Team Sarge. Mm-hmm. Yo-Yo has just had to kill Keller. Yep. Deke is still the head of Deke Tech, but I assume that he's now going to be coming back with Shield. Yeah. Something. Well, something tells me that his startup is going to be a little hurting because, as we lear- learned in the episode, he's been flipping Shield Tech, but he's also been taking tech from the future and inventing it now and in using that. But then also the hiccup is his girlfriend is a social media influencer, and the final like two or three minutes of the episode is her Instagram posts or what I presume is their equivalent of Instagram because obviously they wouldn't be able to use Instagram, but it, it looks a lot like an Instagram story and it's throughout it's through her whole day and like she shows off to the world of however many people follow her on social media what went down so something tells me uh Deke Tech or whatever it's called is not going to be around for much longer no it's not and obviously he is now tampered with the timeline too which is another thing that I'm getting the sense of that's what Sarge is looking for maybe that they're almost like time cops yeah which is a weird statement to make I know yeah but you're kind of getting that sense because they knew that Deke was out of the future and they knew he shouldn't have been there. Like they know a lot more than they're letting on right now, which is very interesting to see. But at the same token, what is their end game going to be? But overall, Pad, final thoughts on the episode. Love the episode. Made my skin crawl a little bit, but it was a very good episode. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, it was definitely a different pace than the trippy space episode that they've done last week. Obviously, this one was more grounded and obviously seeing the return of Deke to the show was very interesting to see because he's kind of fallen away in the shuffle and now we're starting to piece together where everybody is since the end of this, you know, season five. So to see where he is and obviously what is going on and trying to piece together what's happening because I still don't really know what's going on. No. But I like that in that sense because S.H.I.E.L.D. has always done a slow game to their end. So to see the slow build is interesting, but still a lot of questions have to be answered. 
But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What was your thoughts on this week's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Matt James. This is Julian Hepworth. I'm Ross Marchuka. And John McBride. And we're shot at the robots. You're listening to ODPH. Coming back for the final segment on this week's ODPH. Uh, of course, we're going to kick, kick it off with those one shots. I really have nothing because there wasn't really much going on that kind of tickled me pink this week. Uh, I'm going to defer to you. Oh, I have a bunch to discuss, so let's waste no more time. If you don't mind, here we go. Cloak and Dagger had their season finale, and it was amazing. Now, Pat, I know you're catching up on it, so I've been trying not to talk too many spoilers on here, but I have to just kind of jump in about how they finished the season off, and they finish strong. They had their final battle with despair, and dare I say, this show, if you have not been watching, and I know last week I gave the petition, renew Cloak and Dagger. Put the hashtag in front of it. Put whatever you need to put in front of it because it has been that good. That you, If you're not watching it, I don't know how you're missing it, to be honest with you, because the cast has done such a great job. Olivia Holt, Aubrey Joseph, Emma Lahana this season has just been tearing it up, and obviously Brooklyn Micklin has been such a, a, a great surprise, too, for the villain of Despair because, like we talked about last week, you don't really think of him as that, but, man, did he ever step his game up this episode. And as you see, they're kind of going back and forth in this episode. I'm going to talk a little bit of spoilers because I don't want to go into it because I know Pat is going to catch up. But they finished out the story strong, and you had the final battles with Mayhem and uh, Vita who were helping to save Cloak and Dagger on the, on the astral plane and not in, in real life. And, I mean, there's just so much going on. But iconic moments happened. One, they have their costumes. At least I think Dagger has hers. Mm-hmm. But Cloak had his, and they did a very iconic scene out of the comics where Tagger jumps out of Cloak and does the final stab with a dagger sword through despair. Okay. Which, I mean, you have to watch it. If you know anything about the Cloak and Dagger mythos, you know the scene. You've seen it a bunch of time in comics. It was awesome. And how they leave everything going into next season, it appears that our duo is now leaving New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And they're heading to, quote-unquote, a beach where they were tipped off by mayhem of some other s- trafficking going on. I mean, obviously, this season has dealt with some very yeah. serious real-world issues, and it seems that they're now finally going to be doing their kind of runaways motif. Mm-hmm. Now, am I saying they're going to be crossing over with runaways? I don't know. It could happen. I'm not saying I know anything because I don't, but... They have left the door open that if they are traveling, and as it appears they are, this has a tendency that they might be doing something possibly with some other shows, or they're just going to a different scenario or scenery. I mean, I honestly don't know, but they finished so strong on this episode. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the cast, the writers have done such an amazing job this season. I cannot recommend it enough. It has been so good this year. And like I said, there was no chance of a sophomore slump. And you just see they tied up everything. They tied up the situation with Detective Connors. They tied up where I alluded to last week. The tie has now asserted his, you know, I, I guess his rep over the gang situation in New Orleans. Yeah. That it's really interesting to see how everything plays up. And now we're Cloak and Dagger are now going. And you do think that maybe there is the hint of romance happening between them which has been alluded to in the comics enough. And it's just a testament to how the show has been written and how, I mean, like I said, this season wasn't really sure what to expect with Mayhem. 
but I was happily surprised. Now where they're going, if they are going to be doing a crossover with something, I don't know. I mean, personally, I kind of want to see them cross over on S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. They throw that commercial up too often to not make that happen. So MCU, I know you listen to me out there, the writers and such. Let's make it happen next year. Crossover, Cloak and Dagger with S.H.I.E.L.D. Because why not? But definitely get the chance to watch it on Freeform On Demand. You will not be disappointed. The whole season has been good. Ten episodes. It's a quick watch, and you will thank me later for it. Swamp Thing came out on the DCU. Uh, universe app rather and streaming service and it did not disappoint it is a straight up horror comic brought to life don't really know where they're going with the story just yet but if you are a fan of the character you will not be disappointed by any means and there was some late breaking news as we got done recording which tends to happen to us more times than not yeah this is true last week we were talking about how Tom King was going to be going to Batman and Catwoman he's going to be leaving the regular Batman series at issue 85 yep I've heard rumors of what's going on with the story there. I don't know who's taking over the book. Uh-huh. It's going to get interesting. It's going to get weird. I like it, though. I'm not going to spoil anything there. But there was also some more Tom King news as we got done recording. And now he has been tagged to script the New Gods movie that's going to be coming out, directed by Ava DuVernay. Uh-huh. And now this is based on the New Gods such as Dark Side, Orion, yep. Mr. Miracle. Yep. And if you know anything, Tom King did an exceptional, exceptional book of Mr. Miracle. I am super excited about this. Mm-hmm. If you don't know anything about the New Gods, they are an interesting group. It's basically take your cosmic mythos and mix it with Greek mythology, and it's it's interesting. It's nothing like you've really seen before, but you've seen the character Dark Side if yeah. you're a DC Comics fan. The Mr. Miracle book has been exceptional. I recommend it's in trade paperback now. Go pick it up. Where they're going to go with a movie on this, I don't know. But with Ava DuVernay directing, I'm super excited about that. And in counterbalance to Marvel, too, because they've been making some noise about the Eternals. And there's a rumor floating around Mm -hmm. about Keanu Reeves being casted in the movie as well. This is a nice counterbalance to it because I think New Gods... I mean, honestly, if you ask me to choose between Eternals and New Gods, I'm taking New Gods. That's my opinion on this. Okay. Uh, I actually did find something rather interesting. Uh, Of course, this summer is the 40th anniversary of the Alien film. Of course, a sci-fi classic. uh, had three sequels, two prequels, and a couple of movies with some other movie franchises we don't like to talk about. Uh, But uh, obviously, probably one of the most divisive or controversial, I guess you could say, films of the... uh, franchise is aliens three some people like it uh, some people don't uh of course back in the 80s uh sci-fi author william gibson wrote a direct sequel to aliens uh, one which featured all of the surviving characters and not just sigourney weaver's ripley uh sadly though fox obviously went another direction and you know people really weren't happy about it well now thanks to the folks over at audible uh we we have the next best thing to an actual movie version uh the folks at audible brought uh, Gibson's original script of Alien 3 to life and it features alien cast members uh, Michael Bean and Lance Hendrickson reprising their roles of Hicks and Bishop uh, respectively uh, and it, so there you go if you weren't a huge fan of Alien 3 as you saw it in theaters maybe you wanted something a little bit different Audible has now brought you maybe an alternative you know take on what would have happened and maybe you like that so you can check it out Definitely a lot of interesting things going on with the Alien franchise. Mm -hmm. So definitely if you're into that, go check it out. Yeah. 
That's all we got for this week. So for Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Hashtag ODPH Podcast. See you next time. (laughs) 